Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. I had a professor in seminary. He was our history professor, Dr. Smith. Great man. Great man of God. Had a memory like a steel trap. And he, for whatever reason, thought the students in the classroom also had a shared memory like he did. So his exams would be a blank sheet of paper with, I'm trying, oh, here's one. I should have had one. Why didn't I have one? A blank sheet of paper like this with a place to write your name. And about 12 other names in church history or church historical events. And I'll never forget when I got the midterm exam. He put it on my desk and I looked at the blank piece of paper. And for whatever reason, some mysterious moment in my life... My mind reflected the blank piece of paper in front of me, and I couldn't remember who Martin Luther was. I couldn't even remember how to put my name on the page. And here I am this morning. Here we are this morning with about an hour and a half of preparation time. (laughs) But I think God has a good word for us this morning. Because we've come to this season of Lent, where we're preparing for Christ's death and resurrection. But in the process of preparing, I think Christ, I think the Holy Spirit is challenging us to look deeply at what we need to correct because we're not quite there yet. There are things in my life, there are things in your life in which we need to eradicate. Christ is trying to form in us the man or woman that we were created to be. And we're put up against this narrative in John chapter 11, where last Sunday we read about Jesus raising Lazarus Lazarus from the dead called him from the tomb after being dead for several days. And here we are in John chapter 11. If you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it. Because the plot continues to thicken about Jesus, about what he was called to do, about the plans in the background that were taking place. We're going to begin in chapter 11, starting in verse 45. Hear the word of our Lord. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. 
Here is a man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You don't realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that that the whole nation perish. He didn't say this on his own, but as the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus as they stood in the temple area. They asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. There's a couple of things in this passage that just jump off the page. God's plan of salvation will come to fruition. As the world plots against and to thwart God's plan, God's plan will come to fruition. That I can stand firm in that promise. And what's really amazing about this passage is the high priest Caiaphas is pre- says something that he doesn't even know what it means. He means it for one thing, but God has another purpose for it. They've just heard about Jesus performing miraculous things, wonders and signs, brought a man back from the dead. I'm wondering what miraculous moment in your life is a testimony to God's faithfulness. What in your life can you cling to that reminds you and encourages those around you that God is faithful. That God's plan for your life will come to fruition. That God's plan of salvation will be realized. Because God's desire is that none should perish, but have everlasting life. And in that, I recognize there are others who have plans to plot against it. You know, as, a, as, a, as an associate pastor who, who has the privilege of working with children now and with middle schoolers and high schoolers, they face almost every day the message of a world that is hostile to the gospel. Every day. Some students are even more cautious 
to speak their opinion and their thoughts and their beliefs in a classroom because they will be ridiculed in the classroom for what they believe in. The world is hostile to the gospel. It's fascinating. I I, uh, was meeting with some students yesterday, and oftentimes um, what we try and do is try and help people and help students in particular think clearly about what they believe and why they believe it so that they might be able to articulate clearly to another person, hey, I have thought rationally about this and that following Jesus is not irrational. It is actually the most rational thing I can do in my life. And so often what happens is I say, well, you, you, you tell me what, what the conflict is or you tell me what you hear. And, and the first thing that they'll say is, well, the Bible doesn't line up with science. And I go, okay, that's fair. I get it. And I know exactly where they're going because they're thinking in their, their science classrooms and they're being taught in their science classrooms that there is no God that has a plan for anything. And I go, okay, I know where you're going. We're going to head to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to head to Genesis chapter 2. And you're going to ask me to prove that evolution is legit, that it's real. And you're going to ask me to do it in Scripture, but I can't. Because that's not what it's intended to be. Our Scripture is not intended to be a science book. Because guess what? The genre of literature found in our, God, in, our, in our Bible, in the Bible that we currently have, Old and New Testament, is filled with beautiful poetry. It's filled with narrative. It's filled with parables. It's filled with wonderful, wonderful accounts of God's redemptive hand in this world. And so they read the Bible and they read specifically Genesis 1 and 2 and they go, I'm hearing this. How do I put this together? And I go, maybe it's not a science book. Don't read it like a science book. You know how you should read it? Read it like a theology book. Read it like a book that tells you about who God is and who you are. God's not, in Genesis 1 and 2, I'm I'm not thinking about the minuscule ways that God created. What I'm being told and being taught as the world plots against the gospel, first to disprove that God even exists, that God can create. I say, you know what? Maybe we should read it like poetry. Because maybe that's what the Hebrew originally intended it to sound like. Maybe, maybe we have to put on the right lenses to read them. And they go, what do you mean? And I go, well, I can read it literally, or I can read it metaphorically. And this conversation just the other day was pretty fascinating. I said, okay, let's, let's read through Genesis. Just let's get to the fourth day. And I go, because every day at the end it says, The first day, and it was good. And the second day, and it was good. And the third day, and it was good. And if you're reading carefully, it's not until the fourth day which God places the sun in place to govern the day and the moon in place to govern the night. So how do I read this literally and understand the day? See, I think the world is plotting against 
the gospel message to be proclaimed, and they start with the very fact that God exists. Much like the Sanhedrin, as we meet them in chapter 11 here, is plotting against Jesus, the very one who has the power to raise someone from the dead. And if you don't know anything about the Sanhedrin, they're made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. And the Pharisees are the the teachers of the law. They're the ones who are meticulously following the sacramental law. They're meticulously holding to God's word so that they may be found pure and holy. The Sadducees, on the other hand, are more of the aristocratic group of men on this body of people, these body of men, the Sanhedrin, much like the Supreme Court. They make decisions that guide the Jewish people and help maintain a healthy relationship between Rome and Judaism and the Jewish communities. And they're, they're concerned at this point that Jesus, the one who has shown that he has power to raise a man from the dead. I don't think they've ever seen anything like him before. And they're plotting against his message, inviting those who are willing to hear and to listen. Come follow me. I'm going to teach you the abundant life. And I'm going to teach you about forgiveness. And I'm going to offer it to you in a way that blows your mind. Because you need more than anything else, forgiveness. You need more than anything else to know that a God loves you, left heaven, became flesh, born of a baby in a manger to be in a relationship with you. And I think the church at this point has has had some difficulty living up to that calling. Even in our own community, it's hard to follow Jesus. You know, I I think about the students, but what about those of you in, in workplaces, in your offices? How is it that you're Colleagues are seeing God's miraculous work in your life that you might attest to his goodness and his mercy and his grace. How is it that you're living out the abundant life? I, uh, in a moment of kind of transparency, um, in the midst of this transition, I keep hearing, hang in there. And you might be hearing the same kind of thing. Hang in there because you're experiencing difficulty in your life. Maybe you lost a loved one and someone just says, hang in there. Maybe someone in your life was diagnosed recently with cancer and someone says, hang in there, it'll be okay. I don't think Jesus is calling us to a life that says, hang in there. I think Jesus is calling us to a life of abundant joy and peace and gladness and celebration. And even in the midst of our grief and our sorrows, 
joy is present. I had a wonderful conversation with a friend yesterday in the hospital. And they said, you know, you know, John, I know the end is coming. I don't know when, I don't know how, but let me tell you, there is joy in my life like I've never experienced before. And I went, I want that joy. I want that in my life. I want that in our congregation's life. I want that in every student's life, this joy that when the plot comes against the gospel, we stand firm in who Jesus is as the son of the living God, the one who has power to raise the dead. And that there is no Sanhedrin, there is no political party, there is no nation, there is no one who can stand against it. Because the gospel is God's plan of salvation for you and for me. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Your life and my life are a testimony to the resurrection life because the transforming work and power of Jesus lives within us. And my charge and my challenge for you is that when the plot against you comes because you shout glory, 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 that you stand firm in the foundation and the truth that you are God's child, called from the very foundations of the earth, and that there is nothing that will thwart that. There is no plan, no powers, nothing this side of eternity that will ever stop God's plan of salvation. And you and I get to proclaim that from the hilltops. My charge and my challenge for you is to stand firm in God's truth that you are God's child and that God loves you dearly. And when we do that and proclaim the good news, trouble will come, pressures will come. But it's not about just hanging in there. It's about living the abundant life that Christ has promised us. Amen? Amen. Amen.